The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Marie's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Samari, so who's your guest today? Well, Lloyd, today is I, we have a wonderful guest who I happen to have met at a collaborative law luncheon, and then we got together again when he was at the uh, Orange County Mediation Conference where he was presenting and so was I. So we had a great time to get to know each other, and he sent me his wonderful book, called Love, Sex, and Karaoke, 52 Ways to Ignite Your Love Life by Todd Krieger. And let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, By the way, you can find out more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com where you see his picture of his cute face, his, uh, his picture of his book, and the URL to his website, toddkrieger.com. And so let me just tell you, he's a marriage and family and sex therapist who helps couples create loving and passionate long-term relationships, and he helps single people find their soulmate. He has a great talent for helping people to become motivated to create new patterns in their lives that lead to more satisfying relationships and experiences. He's the author of The Long Hot Marriage, which is a highly endorsed and regarded book for couples. And then, of course, this new book, which I have, Love, Sex, and Karaoke, 52 Ways to Ignite Your Love Life. He's a has a private practice in Huntington Beach in Orange County, California, and he's been helping couples and individuals for 30 years, both in person and via Skype. And in, a, in addition to his private practice, he also does teleseminars and webinars and live events. He has been a guest on relationship as a relationship expert on many radio and TV shows, including ours, including the Fox Morning News, KCAL 9 in L.A., Playboy Radio, and he was a featured therapist on the show Unfaithful on the Oprah Winfrey Network. So he does so much. He's a great uh, keynote speaker, but I want to have more time to talk with him. So uh, you can learn more about him at Todd Krieger, that's T-O-D-D-C-R-E-A-G-E-R dot com. So, Todd, it's great to talk to you. Wonderful to have you on the show. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Great to be here. Okay, so 
What is the meaning behind using the word karaoke in your newly released book? Well, you know, this actually, one Sunday morning I woke up, I had a title for the book, and it was really long, and it just came to me in a flash. And I, I think what it really is, is I, first of all, I love doing karaoke. I don't do it that often, <laughs> but I really love it. It's a lot of fun. And um, I, there was once, one of my stories, I do believe it's in the book, <laughs> is mm-hmm. when um, my, from my, my wife's birthday many years ago, before we had CDs, I made her a cassette. I went to a karaoke studio, and I made a cassette, and it was a lot of fun. And, and I used the whole hour that I paid for it to make. And I, I sang fourteen love songs. <laughs> Isn't that romantic? I mean, come it on, Mari. So romantic. Fourteen oh. love songs. It sounded great in the studio. <laughs> and so then we went home. I went home and I wrapped it up. My wife for her birthday, she goes, "Oh, well, you got me a, a cassette." And it opens it up, and of course, there's no label on it. Is it just me? She goes, what is this? I said, put it on and find out. So she puts it on, and the song starts. I assume I'm going to sweep her off her feet with my melodic voice. I was terrible. It sounded so bad. All we could do was just crack up and laugh. It's a great memory. And uh, so that was karaoke. But also, I think of it as it's playful. Yes. It's, It's using our voice. And so we want in our in our relationships and our community relationships to have love. Yes. Have pleasurable sex, but we also want to be able to use our voice and be playful and interact, and, and it's also risky in a way, you know, for some people to get up there and do karaoke. Absolutely. And relationships, to make it really worthwhile and alive and passionate, do take risks. We have to take risks, so that, that's part of what went into it, my story as well as just the word <laughs> and what it symbolizes to me. But I bet she loved it. It was the thought that you would go and do that. <laughs> I think, you know, I would have been really touched. It was. She was. She was touched. Uh, and after we laughed a lot, uh, she thanked me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, with my husband, you know, I, I don't have to have diamonds and all that stuff. But every birthday or Valentine's Day, I just love it if he writes me a poem. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a personal touch, and it's coming from his heart. I mean, and he hates to do it, but he, <laughs> he hates to do it, but he does such a great job. Once he sits down to do it, he writes the most fabulous poems. I always write him a poem, but mine are like like almost like limericks, <laughs> but they're fun. But he, the lady. No, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's really... The thing about it, people, we all underestimate our ability to really be romantic. It doesn't take a whole lot, and we don't have to be great poets. We just got to write it. Yeah. Or whatever we write or whatever we compose. It doesn't have to be good. It has to be... From the heart. From the heart, exactly. Exactly. That's so cute. (laughs) So, you know... You deal with people who are, you know, having challenges in their marriage. And, of course, then I get them when the marriage is over. You know, they, they have a toxic relationship right. or they've found a new, one of them's found a new significant other or whatever it is. So, you know, we hear that more than one out of two marriages in California end in divorce. So is it possible really to have a long, hot marriage well, you know, when I wrote my original book, The Long Hot Marriage, it came out in 2008, and when I told my brother the title of my book, he says, I didn't know you write fairy tales. That's what he said to me. <laughs> and, you know, I said, no, it's not a fairy tale. I mean, the, the thing is that that book was written straight from my therapy office here, you know, that uh, I saw what was working with clients, and I found many couples who were ready to divorce, 
uh, even had infidelity and somehow were able to survive it and thrive. And so the book was about, the question was, what, what am I doing? <laughs> Sometimes you do it, and then you go, what am I doing that's working? Right. And that was what the book was about. What am I doing that's working there? What's, what about doing in my long-term relationship? And so it is very possible to have a long, hot marriage. The catch is that we have to be creative, and we typically have to go opposite our self-protective reflex. I think most of the time we're just protecting ourselves on some level. So we don't stay open, we, we don't share, we go into fight-or-flight reflexes under stress, and it begins to deteriorate the relationship. I mean, when we first get together, there isn't a whole lot of stress, typically. We fall in love. Right. makes no effort to fall in love. And then uh, we fall out of love, which is not a big deal. It's just the point where we remember, wow, my partner isn't perfect, and <laughs> my God, I haven't seen my friends in a while. And... And we realize that our lives have revolved around this other person, and it can't. But that's a point where we could learn how to develop ourselves and grow up and develop the emotional muscle to, to connect through the pain, through the disappointment. And if we could do that, we can get the good stuff. And the good stuff it doesn't go away permanently. It just sometimes gets covered up by the pain. So... It's very possible to have a long, hot marriage. We, we just can't copy our parents and our grandparents. Right. And we're not limited by their relationships. We, we need to be mavericks. And yeah. And mavericks, we could do it. And, you know, we don't teach in school how to have a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. We, we often don't learn from our parents how to have a perfect relationship. They nope. didn't have the training, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to learn it from therapy or we have to learn it from all sorts of new ways of getting higher consciousness about it. Now, now you talk about problems in marriage is not what people say or think. Um, it isn't what they're saying or doing or thinking. What do you mean? Well, what I say is typically people come in, right, first session, they're complaining about what each person does. Right. And then I tell them, which is absolutely true, but definitely throws them off a bit, I said, what you're doing is not the problem. What do you mean what I'm doing with that? He's doing this to me, I'm doing this. No, what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're thinking is not the problem. It's what you're not doing and not thinking and mm-hmm. not saying. Because there are, we do, we, we do what we think about, <clears throat> but we oftentimes are not thinking about things that can help. And we don't speak in ways that help. So, for example... If a person grows up in a family, let's say, just an example, grows up in an alcoholic family, right. and so they're the oldest sibling, and so they learn to be very responsible, and so they, they're in control, and they get involved with a person, let's say it's a woman here, and he gets involved with a man in a heterosexual relationship, and, and he really likes the fact that she's very stable, and then it's really nice, and she likes that he's a lot of fun, but then after about... Uh, Six months and ten days. <laughs> There's a study that said that's the average time where people fall out of love. So after six months and ten days, she starts to go, my God, I'm so tired of him, like, being this wild, unreliable person. She go, and he goes, she's such a stick in the mud. So, so um, that, that typically is what will happen. And so what's, what happens is I help her to begin accessing this playful part of her that long, a long time ago there was no space for it in her family. And I help him access maybe the more sensitive, maybe more giving, thoughtful part of him that just, uh, for whatever reason, didn't kind of get manifested in him, in his family. And so I always say that I never change anybody. 
I just help them become more of who they are. And so we have to add to our thinking, speaking, and behavioral repertoire. And as we do that, miracles could happen. So when we focus on the positive, then that kind of extinguishes the negative, right? It does. At least it puts it in its place. It's not like we, of course we need to deal with the feelings. And right. Of course if there's pain, of course if there's hurt that we want to deal with it, we don't just kind of override it. Right. But at the same time, we don't want to define the relationship or each partner by their past history. Right. It's, let's look at what you haven't been thinking, doing, and saying, that when you do think and say these other things, it could create, it's creative. It's a creative right. enterprise. Right. It creates something. Right. So right. It is, it's always about what's missing. What is, what is something you don't say or do? Um, and that ultimately is interesting to people because they go, you mean there's a way out? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There is a way out. And I'm more optimistic after doing this work for over 30 years than when I started because I know there's ways out. For yes. most couples, yes, not going to say all couples, but right? Couples. But it, well, obviously, if you're going to if you're going to look at the bright side, I mean, isn't that about everything in life? If you're a negative person, everything looks negative. But if you're being positive, everything looks more positive. Yes, I mean that's just yes. the way life is. But you know, when they come to me, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm doing my divorce mediation, what I notice the biggest problem, and I'm sure you do too, which is why you're telling them to replace the you know, with positive thoughts and fun and look at the good side. And, but to me, the thing that is the biggest thing is blame, guilt, and criticism. Yes. That's what I hear by the time they come to me, you know, when they're with you, they're they're still hopeful. By the time they come to right. me, they're not hopeful anymore, and that's what they're doing that they didn't even recognize that they were doing. So, so if you combine eradicating the blame, the the criticism, and the judgment and the guilt-inducing stuff, and then put together with all the positive stuff, my goodness, then you know things can really heat up, yeah. right? right? Oh, absolutely! Really fast, like a brush fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you also talk about being uh, becoming aware. Of and being beware of the perception of your partner. So, how do you change that perception? You were talking about that just a couple of minutes ago. How do you really do that? That's great. See, see, so the thing about it is when people start to realize we are not our perceptions and our thoughts, and we're more than our perceptions, and our partner is more than our perceptions of them. But these are just thoughts. Uh, this is what this, uh, one of the fields of cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, in, in the mental health field says that we can look at our beliefs and, and challenge them and change them. But we're very possessive of our beliefs, and we're very possessive <laughs> of our perceptions, even more than our money. Like, this is it. You are, here's the example I love to give. You know, if I believe that my partner is a bad listener, and maybe I came from a family where nobody listened to me, so I already have that mindset. I will speak, and maybe, and it's backed up by history. Let's say my parent partner hasn't been such a great listener when I have feelings, that I am going to speak to my partner in such a way that I'm going to treat that person like she's a bad listener. So what I might do is speak with an edge in my voice, with a negative expectancy, and what happens? I get out, she feels attacked, she feels defensive, and you know what? Lo and behold, she doesn't listen to me. But what if I 
practice perceiving her, and it seems crazy to people at first. What practice imagining your partner as a good listener, and they'll say to me, "He's never listened to me once. Why would I do that?" <laughs> just let's experiment, which is one of my favorite words. Let's experiment and just practice perceiving. What imagine? Talk to him as if he will listen to you. Well, when she talks to him, I'm using genders either way, but when she talks to him as if he'll listen, you know, she's, she'll have softer eyes, he'll read it right away, like he's going to relax a little bit, he feels like he's not in trouble, he's not getting attacked. Right. He might actually listen. And so it's really be realize that if, if we're not a, being aware or beware of our perceptions of our partner, it's because our perceptions lead to how we treat that person, and how I treat that person will evoke the very thing that I perceive. So I better watch out. Yes. If I perceive my partner as a wonderful human being, I will probably bring that part out. Yeah, exactly. Create the reality. It's right than we think, because we're oftentimes waiting for the circumstances to change. We're waiting for our partner to change. And here it's like, all right, I'll experiment. I'm going to play with my perceptions and I've done this in my own marriage. I mean, everything I share with, do with my couples, right. I experiment. Right. I couldn't believe in my own marriage back many years ago when I started to treat my wife like she's wonderful if we got stuck in this anger trap, and she just became lovely yes. you know, because I saw her that way and I treated her that way and I wasn't so defensive and self-protected. So that's really a very important piece of what I do with couples a lot, to become aware of their automatic perceptions and begin experimenting with new perceptions that at first it feels a little weird because they feel like they're taking off the bulletproof vest walking in a very unsafe neighborhood. Right, <laughs> but right. It, it's what there, that's what I mean. There has to be some risk, you know, and to, to, to begin shifting things. And that's everything that I do in a variety of ways, but it's really all about sometimes doing things that are opposite our reflex. Right, right. Well, it's like um, Wayne Dyer wrote that book, Believe It and You'll See It. Instead yes. of see, you know, I'll, yes. people say, oh, I'll see it when I, be- I'll, yeah. I'll believe it right. when I see it. And he goes, no, see it and then you'll believe it. Exactly. You know, see it and it happens. Yes. Um, and so that's great. Yeah. Um, you use a, me- a metaphor of playing catch when talking about intimate communication. So tell us about that. Well, uh, communication, of course, is so huge. And. One of the things that I see with couples is they'll come into my room and they'll just, they, they both have agendas. So it's like, but up, but up, but up, but up, you know, they're just talking at each other, basically, and uh, they are both trying to be heard. So I, I talk about the metaphor of playing catch, or when I grew up in New York, we call having a catch, but it's playing catch. So I throw the ball, if I want to play catch and I throw the ball to you, Marie, and you catch it, yeah. it's satisfying. But if I throw the ball to you and you just watch it drop on the ground or you knock it back at me in, in back in my direction, it's not satisfying right. because you haven't caught my ball. Right. Uh, likewise, if I take the ball and I throw at you the ball 100 miles an hour, you're not going to catch it. You just put your arms up to protect yourself. So I say, now think about communication. When I throw you my ball or when I throw you my wants or my feelings, I'm hoping that you catch it. Now I need to f- express it in a way that makes it easier for you to catch. Right. So I can't expect you to catch it if I'm calling you names and I'm labeling you and I'm putting you down. Right. But if I do that, you know, communication 101, I'm feeling angry because this is, and this is what I need, then that uh, it's my turn, right? I've spoken first. I'm the one that has the ball. And so then the other person has to put on his or her catcher's mitt 
and catch it. How you catch it is by dropping your agenda temporarily yeah. and totally being receptive. And I help the other person practice getting into that receptive state, you know, that whole receptive state, just the same state you have when you are mindful and tuning into nature and you're being aware of here. It's like, just drop it. Don't try to correct him or her. Just totally be there. It's her turn if you're the listener and just totally listen to what he or she say. Right. So it's that whole idea of playing catch. Once you've caught the ball and that person sees it, and in other words, feels like you really heard me, now you could throw the ball back versus what people do. Yeah, they get, I'll have my creative tennis balls, you can have your creative tennis balls, and you keep throwing <laughs> at each other. <laughs> right. So it really is, uh, you know, in the session and then during the weeks, the homework assignments, they need to practice first with me there and then at home to practice, and it isn't as easy as it sounds because they really have to develop that emotional muscle of, i got to drop my agenda. we got to right. take turns, just like playing catch. Yeah, and I have to really listen. Yes. Yeah, and and if I actively listen, then I can even tell you when I caught the ball, this is what I caught. <laughs> is that right? That's right. It's like a good journalist. You, want to, you, know, you don't want to tell the journalist <clears> something. <throat> they, you read about yourself in the paper, and you go, oh, my God, they got it wrong. You know? No, they... Yeah, you, you want, and that's a good thing to do. It's like, let me see if what you're saying is you're angry at me because of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Go, well, blah, blah is right, but not that that. It's that, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the person talking feels like, wow, I'm significant. You're really too yeah. to me. Yeah. I've seen couples have had tremendous, I had a couple yesterday in my, on my couch over here that was in so much pain for years and years and years, and he had his be- I think he had his best moment of the therapy, and maybe even best moment of the marriage, yesterday when he, he dropped his agenda, he listened to her, and I watched her face. And even though there's been all that pain, she looked at him, tears coming down, she says, you heard me, didn't you? It's very mm-hmm. powerful. There's nothing yes. more powerful. What an act of love to listen. Yes. You know, it, it really is. is an act of love. It really is. <clears throat> and people don't realize that when you really listen to each other and really care and really show that, that new understanding, things can change. I've, you know, I've had over the course of my career, like 20 couples that got back together, not, not too many recently, but over the 30 years, that's not t- too bad when that's you consider, when you consider they're coming for divorce. <laughs> that's right. That's really pretty amazing. I, I would think that many attorneys that do the, Typical of kind of a they would never say that they couldn't say no it. no it doesn't happen in mediation it can happen yes. because they they are coached like what you coach you know right you know this is what you need to, you know you need to explain what she just said and help her know that you were just you know that that she was heard or he was heard and then people go oh really I didn't I never knew you thought that yeah it's like exactly well that's wow. the couples when they when they're so-called communicating, it's more like pseudo-communication because they're just reacting to whatever surface thing. The person says something, it triggers something in the other person. They react off that feeling. They're, they're not really getting to what's really going on. You know, the words sometimes are not the best representations of our inner world right away. So if we can learn to slow it down and communicate like this, more stuff comes up, it gets clearer, and that's what you do in mediation. That's what I do in my office gives people a chance to actually get in touch with what is the true wants, feelings, and interests of each person. And it surely it takes on a whole different quality when you do that. 
Exactly. People misperceive words. You know, what a word means to me might me have a different connotation than you. Absolutely. Yeah. We are talking today with Todd Krieger, who is the author of this fun book. I think it's fun and cute. Love, Sex, and Karaoke, 52 Ways to Ignite Your Love Life. I've already been marking things that um, I want to do with Lloyd (laughs) (laughs) that are fun. So let's talk a little bit about um, parent-child patterns in relationships. This is something, you know, that even uh, we've been writing about. My my co-author and I have been writing about patterns that we mm-hmm. get from our, you know, from our childhood. So what is that about, and, and how does that correlate with our passion in relationships? I When I discovered that every couple, I, I mean 100% of couples, I know it's a bold statement, I don't usually speak in absolutes, but I have found that 100% of couples fall into some kind of parent-child pattern where one person feels more like the parent and the other more like the child. Right. So if a person is uh, listening to this and they go, yeah, I uh, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I always got to watch my partner. I always got to manage my partner. I always got to remind my partner. I always got that's definitely, I feel like the parent. If the person listening is saying, yeah, I sometimes feel like this person is telling me I'm not doing it right. They're always trying to restrict me. They're nagging. Oh, when I hear the nag word, nagging at me, I know they've slipped into that parent-child pattern where one person feels like the parent, one person feels like the child. And that pattern destroys passion over time. Mm. You know, because, you know, nobody really wants to... Be told, ...sex with the mothers and... Yeah. You know, we, we really want to have adult adult uh, communication and connection. So that is really important, and the good news is when people do things like practice playing catch that you and I just talked about, when they practice opening, unlocking their perceptions that you and I talked about, that it, it, it begins to shift the uh, relationship out of that. And I've seen some couples where they're strictly mother-son pattern or strictly father-daughter. I've seen other relationships where it depends on the arena of their life, like maybe at home it's mother-son. But when it comes to money, it's father-daughter. Right. So it could shift like that. And it's really where, it's just the way people manage their feelings Mm -hmm. or mismanage their feelings versus feeling their feelings, noticing it, and going, oh, my God. Like when a a couple comes in and I hear, let's say, a guy go, yep, I forgot to call. Boy, was I in trouble. (laughs) Right. I go, you were in trouble? What do you mean you were in trouble? (laughs) Well, I was in trouble. What do you mean? Well, my wife was really angry. So if your wife's angry, you're not in trouble. Because <laughs> if he goes around saying he's in trouble, he right. feels like he's in trouble, what's the chance of him being a mature adult male who's going to listen to his wife's anger? Right. Zero. So he he's going to be learn. rebellious, right? Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> that's right. I have to be the compliant child or the rebellious child. Right. right. You know, versus mm-hmm. from the adult place, I could choose... But I also can listen if you're angry at me. So, uh, but I joke about this. I say, how many of us have seen um, uh, a, m- a mother say to our fathers when we were growing up, I'm so angry at you, and the father looks at the mother, leans over, and says, really, honey? Uh, tell me more ma- about your feelings. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's in Father Knows Best from, <laughs> from the 60s, right? That, that doesn't happen anymore. No. We only have about two minutes, but I wanted to get to this thing about sex. Um, sure. How important is sexual performance uh, in being a great lover? Okay, so that's something that, of course, men have that issue more. Women, too, with orgasm. But it, it, we have such myths that we live by in the, in, when it comes to sexuality. And 
sex is about engagement. It's about connection. And it doesn't have to be perfect sex. It's just like when I st- if I try dance lessons with my wife, I'm not going to be great the first time out. But especially us men have this silly thing in our heads that we have to be great performers. And then what happens is we could have a negative experience and then avoid it. And that becomes the problem. So connect, connect, connect. And uh, the, the wife usually will enjoy the connection and typically will appreciate that he's engaged. So yes. I talk a lot about that. With and, and I love in your book you have all of these um, non-sexual foreplay. Yes. Yes, I love that because I think men forget that, it. you know, just talking to sweet talk to your wife is foreplay. Yes. And, and just, you know, gentle sweet talk and love and and just a, a, just a non-sexual touch is really foreplay. So it sets the mood. It sets it, the mood. of the relationship. Exactly. Well, we are out of time, but it's great to talk to you, Todd. And I just want you to give your website and the name of your book, and it's time to go. Sure. Well, my website is www.toddkrieger.com, and you spelled it, but I'll go T-O-D-D-C-R-E-A-G-E-R.com. And the book is called Love, Sex, and Karaoke, 52 Ways to Ignite Your Love Life. Well, other products, too. That's wonderful. So they'll go to the website, and we will talk again. Todd, great to talk to you, and great to see you. Same here. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Monday morning at 830, and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.